Welcome into the Superintendent Radio Network and Episode 7 of Beyond the Page, the podcast that dives a little deeper into some of the stories in Golf Course Industry Magazine. I'm GCI Managing Editor Matt Lowell, joined this month by a pair of great guests. Tim Morgan, our Outside the Ropes columnist, calls in to talk a little bit more about his column, Your Time to Shine, in the June issue. If you have not read it, a great quick overview of a strange spring, a strange summer, and what you can do to really set yourself apart in a competitive industry. Our second guest is Joel Murray, perhaps a familiar name. He is the youngest brother of William James Murray, Bill Murray. Talked with Joel, the ninth of nine Murray siblings and the sixth of the six Murray brothers. For my story, The Carl Quandry, in the June issue about Carl Spackler and his lasting legacy on the turf industry, we talked about golf, we talked about his company, William Murray Golf, and we talked a little bit about Caddyshack. Hope you enjoy this episode. Had a lot of fun with these conversations. On to Tim Morgan. Tim Morgan with Aspire Golf. Tim, welcome to back to the podcast. You haven't been on since uh, I think your year-end awards column with Guy, and that was probably five or six months ago now. Good to have you back. How are you? Well, thank you, Matt. Good morning. Good to be back. Yeah, there's lots uh, lots for the Grainies this year too, so we'll be off and running one more time. Your column in the June issue. We're still kind of in this season of. Everybody working together, everybody trying to get golf back to some semblance of normalcy, but also a semblance of of strength. This has been a really good season, all things told, for golf in a lot of solid attention from probably some outlets that don't cover golf or don't write about golf normally, Um, a lot of it positive, and the television coverage as well. There's just been a lot of eyeballs on golf. Now, your column in June was focused on superintendents, and this being, I believe the headline was, Your Time to Shine, just because there is so much attention and new attention. What has been your take on the industry in the last couple of months, but more so in maybe some of those new eyeballs that are on the sport and on the industry? That's a great question. You know, the new eyeballs... uh... Eyeballs on golf are diverse. Uh, Some people label it as an elitist activity for the wealthy, which is wrong because it's only about 30% of the the golf in general. Um, But I think it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a positive thing because of the imposed lockdowns throughout the country. Many of those are now relaxed and we're in a whatever stage we're in now to go forward. But it allowed one of the only things to be enjoyed was being outside on a golf course. And people probably looked at that like, well, that's just for a few. Well, when you're sitting in a 1,200-square-foot apartment in a high-rise in a major city and you can't go out except to walk your pet or get groceries or go to a doctor, uh, golf is pretty appealing. And when you really look at the whole 
persona of the sport. You're outside. You're challenged mentally and physically. You're in a beautiful environment that's not saturated with chemicals, pesticides, and overused water resources. Uh, it's an opportunity to get some fresh air and sunshine. Okay, great. So let's go outside and try this crazy-looking sport and put on some polyester plaid pants and have at it. But what it does focus is on the individuals who prepare these playing fields. And now they're the new hero. And as I said, it's the superintendent's and their staff's time to shine because, as we've always said, they're the ones to do the work. So, okay, my golf course is open. How did it get open? What do I got to do? And, and who's in charge? Well, it's not the director of golf. It's not really the general manager. It's the golf course superintendent. They're the individuals that are getting it ready. If you're in the northeast, north central, you're in northwest, you're coming out of winter. <clears throat> Excuse me. And people have been locked inside fear of the, of the virus. Now you can come outside and practice the proper protocols, and you're in a clean environment that's safe, fresh air, and you get some movement. Mentally and physically, it's it's huge. Well, the golf course superintendent is responsible for this activity. They're getting the golf course ready, and now they are becoming the central focus of information and what to do on the golf course. Puts the attention in the spotlight right on the golf course superintendent, which I've always said is the number one reason we have golf is the golf course superintendent. So here we go. And tying together a couple of stories from the issue, this is also the 40th anniversary of Caddyshack. The movie came out at the end of July, 1980. Uh, and there will be a little more attention placed on that movie, and especially on Bill Murray's Carl Spackler, who was an assistant greenskeeper, and maybe not a very good one by modern standards. But between all of the attention placed on on golf and maybe some added attention on superintendents from even some outlets again that don't necessarily cover that angle of the sport not not the, not us not the trade publications but more general publications and and maybe some more attention on Carl Spackler this could be a summer of the superintendent for a lot of reasons there could be a lot more attention than than normal on as you said the folks who really drive the game and make this such a great sport and such a great industry. True. And what it will do, it will it will show based on the superintendent's actions, professionalism, our GCSA's professionalism, professionalism and organization, is that those who maintain golf courses are not Carl Spackler. Right. They're not the bumbling buffoon who's out there to shoot a gopher with a high-powered rifle uh, with no regard for anybody else's health and physical well-being. And more importantly, I mean, we've had this debate in the industry for the last 40 years. Is this movie good or bad? Well, first off, it's Hollywood, so it's pretty much fake in its own right. This is not true. It's all made up, and it's to provide a laugh. So, okay, puts the spotlight on the superintendent. We don't have to defend ourselves. We don't have to say we're not that. Because we're not that. Um, it allows the superintendent to show the golfing world how creative we are, how intelligent we are, how trained we are, uh, how educated and hardworking we are to provide a, a really cool environment for people to have fun and relax. 
So this is a great thing. So anytime, I mean, I laugh. We all laugh at Caddyshack because, you know, I mean, it's just this, it, it's all, it's Hollywood. It's a big joke and we're supposed to have a few laughs. It's not real. But if it focuses attention on the superintendent and it allows our industry to really step forward and shine and, and show the world, this is who we are. We're pretty educated, dedicated, intelligent people. Um, we're not a bunch of dirt farmers and clodhoppers that, uh, you know, sleep on bags of malorganite. It's just not the case. Shifting gears a little bit, you've been out and about some. You've seen some courses, obviously on television, like we all have, but you've seen courses in person uh, the last few months. When you're on the ground, uh, what have you seen that's maybe been different this spring and now we're almost into early summer here that maybe surprised you or that you just weren't used to seeing uh, on a golf course or from uh, grounds crew maintenance staff well i guess pool noodles come to <laughs> the forefront <laughs> the tool um, of the season you know i mean that that uh, i like them i just ask our superintendent to make sure they're fluorescent yellow because my eyes aren't as good as they used to be um you know, what I've seen is a, a better coordinating of effort to do more with less uh, for right now. You know, clubs are just opening up. They may not have the food and beverage income. Not that That's a, you know, a moneymaker in many clubs anyways. But, uh, you know, they, I think we're going to do more with less. So, as I said in the column, you know, Dr. Beard always told me, and he wrote about it and spoke about it ad nauseum, 50% of the game is on the putting surface. Mm-hmm. So... I see efforts being on the putting surfaces, which everybody knows if your greens are good, everything else is good. The, the beer is colder, the hamburger is better, etc. So I see focus there. And I also see a, a, you know, a kind of a relaxing of the whole protocol of the game, you know, the history and traditions and, oh, we can't do this, we can't do that. Right now it's turning into an era of fun. It's a great time to be a beginner. Uh, if you've never tried the sport, the rules are relaxed. There's no pressure on scoring. You know, we just want to get out there, relax. And I think everybody's on an even keel right now with everybody else, regardless of your ability or your budget. What I have seen is um, a lot of golf. Uh, I, I went. To, I've been on the road now for almost two months. Uh, flying is an interesting procedure in its own right, but it's uh, a little better it is. I socially distance anyways when I'm in airports, so it doesn't really bother me. Um, but I see a lot of golf. I was on a desert mountain in mid-May, and I granted they have seven golf courses, one being a par three, but they did 23,000-plus rounds. That's amazing. Uh, the club that I play out of in New Jersey, Fiddler's Elbow, I talked to the superintendent recently, they did close to 1,500 rounds in a weekend. Now, that's a 54-hole uh, facility in New Jersey. It's a wonderful facility. But 1,500 rounds? I mean, that's amazing. And I think what it does, if this is the only activity you have and you can get outside, get some vitamin D, sunshine, and fresh air, this is going to be a great turnout for the game. I see superintendents get a little frustrated because they can't pay the attention they'd like to to detail work. Obviously, we've taken rakes out of the bunkers and some of the amenities off of golf courses, etc. But who cares? You know, I mean, I, I don't go out there every afternoon when I get a chance and play like I'm in the U.S. Open. So if I'm in a bunker 
and there's and I, and I end up in the footprint. Well, I could do the traditional aspect and play it as I found it, and try to get out. Or if I'm just practicing and goofing around with buddies, I, I'm going to roll it over and have some fun because I'm not keeping score right now. Mm-hmm. So uh, the superintendent is is getting a lot done with a lot less. Again, shows efficiency, shows creativity, shows how uh, unique of an individual and a, and a creative thinker they are. Uh, I have found, you know, at our place here in South Carolina, we're a 36-hole facility. We've we've had difficulty getting labor because of the whole C-19 issue. So we close one course a day. So we, we prepare the course that's open for play. And then the ground staff, what we have, goes to the other golf course. And obviously, guess what? Condition is improved across the plant, uh, across the the uh, playing surface, and uh, everybody is happy. I just talked to our uh, director of instruction yesterday. In the month of May, off and on, eighteen holes open throughout the month of May, we did over five thousand rounds. I mean, and then we have takeout service, so the clubs are thriving. I don't think golf has always been a niche sport for me anyways, but it, it's, it's really busy and I think it's going to attract new people. I think there was a recent article and I'll probably talk about it a little bit. in The next issue of GCI is the millennial now the millennial, the dreaded millennial <laughs> is now falling in love with golf because it, it's quick. It's easily accessible. It's fun. And, and they can kind of do what they want with their friends and, I, I just, yeah, I mean, the people that, that predict the doom and gloom of the sport, I, I just don't see it right now. Obviously, I want the, the virus to go away and everybody kind of get back to whatever the definition of normal will be. Uh, this, is, this is a great opportunity for golf. And your friend and mine, Guy Cipriano, the new editor-in-chief of Golf Course Industry, he, he seems to get a, a new title every year. We were... <laughs> We were texting the other night and about just the pro sports leagues coming back, and golf obviously has done a great job. The PGA is back up and running, LPGA uh, coming back up and running. There have been all the made-for-TV events. And he made the point that he's a big outdoors guy. He, he loves to hike, he loves to run, loves to canoe and paddle, obviously playing golf as much as he can. He's played, I think, at least once or twice this week. And he told me, I'm always more fulfilled doing instead of watching something. Uh, I think there's something bigger going on here with lifestyles being changed. People realize that they need quality, healthy recreation. And you see a lot of people out walking and running, but you see a lot more people playing golf. And your point that Desert Mountain has done 23,000 rounds on seven courses, but still uh, Fiddlers has done 1,500. I mean, these are just huge numbers. And do you get the sense that this is almost a, a shift for the game, that maybe it's not dying? You know, you, you, you're talking with a millennial. We're not going to kill the game like we killed everything else, like breakfast cereal. and <laughs> oh, have, Heaven knows right, what else right, we killed. Right. I, have, I have a strength, a good feeling of strength for the next generation. Yeah. Uh, your thinking is, uh, is really, really good. You know, from a pro sports golf on TV, how many people, you look at the ratings that, that the, the match, whatever you want to call it, is Seminole received. One, people were curious because they'd never seen Seminole and what a great job Hal Hicks mm-hmm. as the superintendent has done for that golf course with the Walker Cup coming up next year. You saw the longer hitters. Now, it might have been, see, to me, it was, I'm a little, got the conspiracy theory going, but the USJ wanted to 
you know, their their whole met mo is let's have four of the biggest hitters play a rock hard golf course with lots of wind, and we'll see how far the ball goes, so we can roll back the ball and really try to damper the industry. But that's their problem, not ours. But everybody tuned in to see those guys play. Everybody tuned in to see Tiger, Phil, uh, Brady, and, and Peyton uh, play golf and have fun. And kid, it's it that foursome was the typical foursome that I play with. We're always giving each other stuff. You know, I mean, shadow over the ball, you know, dropping stuff in your back swing, you know, the constant kidding and needling. That's the cool part of the sport that everybody thinks, well, it's a polite sport and we'll just be professional in, you know, the manners and the etiquette. No, no, no. Golf is about having fun. And especially when you hit a real bad shot. You know, where'd that come from, Matt? Nice effort. You know, I mean, it goes on and on. So it's, it's, I think it's opening up totally different avenues to the game. Now, the ratings were off the charts with Colonial this past weekend for a number of reasons. One, you got a great golf course with wonderful history and a lot of good champions. And it's always kind of that premier, one of the premier events in the spring that everybody gets excited to see. Uh, you know, we've got the uh, the heritage here this week in Hilton Head, and the community is abuzz. Even though we can't have people on the golf course, I think that's going to change. I mean, maybe limited people on the golf course. But look what you saw this weekend. I mean, you saw, you saw Bryson DeChambeau convert himself into a long drive champion, bulk up by 40 pounds. I mean, this is a game changer. Think of the individuals now that are going to get into the game that never thought they could play because they looked at the diminutive Gary player, and now you look at the Hulk out there and, and Bryson DeChambeau and Brooks Kepka, and, of course, Tiger uh, did all the physical, and Rory. I mean, these guys are, are getting into it. So it is just personifies health and fitness and being outdoors. And I mean, you can't ask for anything more. It's showing people that it's a great activity. And circling back to superintendents, you wrote in your column, quote, it's our nature to keep our heads down and do our jobs. That's fine, but don't miss the opportunity these times offer to communicate, telling people who you are, what you do, why you do it. Golfers will be happy to be outside and playing and maybe more inclined to learn what you're doing to return their course to them. So not only is it opening the sport to more people, the power lifters who look like Bryson, uh, rather than, as you said, the diminutive folks uh, like you and I who look a little more like Gary Player, um, but they're, they're coming into the game and they're learning about it. They're blank slates. Uh, and, they're, and they're learning the people who do make the game they great. They need to go to the expert on the golf course. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, how many times is it said and written, what do you join a golf club for? Is it history and tradition? Is it the hamburger or is it the golf course? Well, in my book, it's the golf course. And the golf, it's the golf course experience. Well, who's responsible for that? Sorry, boys, but it's not the general manager and it's not the director of golf it's the golf course superintendent and now we can place ourselves we can get out from under that you know where we have a we're equally balanced where we have a chip on each shoulder uh about what we do and how we do it let's not keep our head down let's keep our head up be the source of information be the one with the intelligent response to how we react to an emergency whether it be a pandemic a natural disaster and a storm or just why is there, you know, that why is there a brown spot on the left of number six green? You're, you're going to be the focus of attention, and that's good for our profession because 
maybe because of this pandemic, we're going to get the respect that we finally deserve that we always should have gotten over the years. And as you said, no better time to shine than the present. Hey, whatever you can do today is going to benefit you tomorrow. And, uh, you know, we're all going to learn from this experience. Uh, I don't think we're never going to have another issue. We probably will. But again, when it comes time for the emergency, how to react and what to do with your piece of property, again, it's the golf course superintendent that's going to be out there early and, and stay out there late to get it done. I mean, that's just the nature of who we are. Tim Morgan, I love reading you every month in the pages of GCI. I love talking with you more, and we've got to have you back on the podcast before the Greenies for next year. No problem. Glad to do it. Thank you very much, and I thank uh, you, Guy, and GCI for all you do for me. really curious just because you were so much younger and as you put in your twitter handle nine of nine um, with so many older brothers what was your relationship with golf when you were very small uh, before you started caddying and before you started playing well really small um you know that we didn't have a lot of golf clubs uh but there were always some cut down ones like there might be a seven iron there might be the right size for a little guy because somebody was always kind of cutting one down one of your older brothers so the only little you know corner of the garage we had some clubs i could hit and we grew up across the street from a huge convent that was you know it was like i don't know 400 acres and it was big and uh you could go in there and, and hit balls around and nobody would bother you um so we, we had places we could hit balls and then because there was a convent across the street there was a strip of grass between the street and the wall, and we, we used to play down the, the strip, uh, you know, the phone poles or trees, and uh, the older brothers are much better at chipping because they did this a lot. But, uh, you know, you try to hit it 48 yards to the next phone pole kind of thing, and if you, you know, if you were a little bit off and it went bouncing down the street, then that yeah, was, you know, a pain in the butt. But uh, we, uh, we spent a lot of time chipping, and... Uh, yeah, that's before playing golf, yeah, so uh, that was my, my, my pre-golf life, yeah, in the convent and along the front of the convent. But, uh, a good amount. I had a dog, this is Shep, where uh, you could tee a ball up on our front lawn and hit it over the solid fence uh, of the convent. Solid wall, you couldn't see, and the dog, you, you know, you did it like a three-wood maybe 200 yards or something into the distance and the dog would come back with it like 20 minutes later. A little tiny Karen Terrier. (laughs) Not the best response time, 20 minutes, but at least you got the ball back. Yeah. Uh, My other pre-golf life was we actually made a a chipping, a little miniature chipping green in the back corner of the yard. Uh, So we had a little tiny golf hole in the yard. Um, that we would play when we were very young. Uh, so I had a little agronomy and a little course maintenance. And there was actually a section of it that was uh, moss. Uh, so you could, you could, that small area you could put on. <laughs> anyway, we're getting way too detailed now. No, you're, you're great. Um, 
Now, all five of your brothers caddied at Indian Hill. Did any of your sisters as well, or was it the six of you who did? None of, none of the sisters caddied. Uh, that was kind of pre-girls caddying age. Um, I was the last one to come through, and uh, yeah, no, no girls. But all six boys caddied, yeah. After all of them caddied, was there any doubt in your mind when you reached that age, uh, however old you were, that you would be following them and you would be caddying for a while at the club? Well, the, you know, the beauty of caddying was that there was no structure to it. You, you went, you know, you could go every morning. You could be a great caddy, or you could go when you wanted to, and it was all cash, and uh, you didn't have to wait two weeks for a paycheck kind of thing. So, um, yeah, it was it was there. It was there for the taking kind of thing. And, um, I mean, some of my favorite memories of caddying was actually, uh, you know, the basketball games before you caddied. Before you got your loop, uh, there was some pretty serious uh, basketball in the caddy yard beforehand. And uh, so, so the members thought we were just the scum of the earth because we would show up at the first tee soaking wet from sweat from playing basketball for an hour before we got there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I liked everything about hanging out there. And uh, then you got on um, the that was kind of easy uh, compared to playing basketball on the blacktop. How similar, uh, just because Brian wrote the movie, uh, how similar was Indian Hill and your experiences at Indian Hill uh, to what you saw on screen at Bushwood? Uh, some of it was very similar. Um, there weren't a lot of cute waitresses when I worked there. <laughs> um, and, uh, and we did everything, like, you know, Brian was the best caddy, but he did, you know, like he shined shoes, he worked in the bar, you know, waiter, you know, did a lot of different things. Um, but yeah, we we were treated like lesser beings, and uh, like the half hour for the, the swim on caddy field day, that was kind of a real thing. I think we got an hour uh, to use the pool on caddy field day. Wow even though the club was closed and no one else was going to be there we got an hour uh, it's pretty humorous when I saw that in the movie but uh, it was uh, it was similar the half a chance were actually there and uh, I uh, don't know what other similarities pretty waspy anyway were you still working at the club were you still caddying at the club when Caddyshack came out in 1980 uh, I was actually a little bit. Um, I uh, I moved. I came back and moved in college, for that matter. Um, so I graduated from high school in '80, and in '79 I was definitely getting in there a lot. And uh, I actually had a good, good job working construction, so I I kind of would just caddy so I could get to play uh, on Mondays. But uh, I caddied in. Brian was looking for Spalding for the longest time, and they couldn't they couldn't find anybody to play Spalding before they found John Barham. And uh, Brian said to me one night in New York that you know um, we're trying to find a kid. He's every rich kid that we ever caddied for, you know, you know the type. And uh, he said, yeah, I think he could do this. And I uh, I had done a good amount of theater and stuff already. Um, and I, I laughed at him, like, give me a break. I'm capital football team. 
gonna, I'm not gonna blow my senior year season to go do some skit thing that you're doing somewhere. I have no idea what Caddyshack would be, you know. But uh, I, uh, I had dreams of playing college football at that point, and I uh, had no interest in following their their weird, strange ways. <laughs> When did you see it for the first time, and and what was your reaction when you you finally saw the weird skit thing, as you called it? Uh, I think I saw it with some friends in a drive-in, actually. uh, So we were, you know, we were loaded from there. We were pretty lubricated, and uh, we thought it was the funniest thing we'd seen since Animal House. It was just fantastic. And, you know, growing up doing that, in that world, uh, it hit, you know, hit home like it does for any golf fan. Uh, but yeah, no, I thought it was the funniest thing ever. And uh, was quite proud of Brian and, uh, and Tony. <laughs> and then spotting my other brothers. My brother Ed is in like one glimpse, and my brother Johnny's one of the caddies in it, and a couple of glimpses. So it's kind of, kind of fun. Where's Waldo kind of thing as well for me. I actually never knew that. Uh, I always thought the record for the Murray brothers was Scrooge because there were the three of you in there. But the the record is for Caddyshack. There were four of you. There's four in Scrooge as well. Are there four? Yeah, I missed that. Uh, but the four in Scrooge actually have uh, character titles. Um, Ed and uh, John were just extras in Caddyshack, so I guess Scrooge would still get the record. But yeah, four and four. That's fantastic. Random random bits of trivia. Um, so in, in terms of seeing both your brothers, well, four of your brothers, but but Brian and, and Bill specifically in Caddyshack, um, what kind of characters had you seen during your years working at the club that, that inspired those two iconic characters? Well, uh, <laughs> well there's some nefarious characters uh, involved in Caddy, and I remember... At one point, uh, there was a caddy master that um, he was doing some illegal things out of the, the cart shack, uh, and you know he'd, he'd ask you to watch the window, like uh, Brian does in that movie, you know, and you get to take over for him, and that was cool. But uh, yeah, you know, guys would show up with the Fu Manchu mustaches and d- dingo boots that didn't look like you know the twelve, thirteen year old caddies that were hanging around, and uh, they'd go down in the cart shed and walk out with. Them. You know, a brown paper bag. What's going on down there? Uh, but you know, there, so there were some nefarious caddy masters, and then um, yeah, Billy was actually uh, an assistant greenskeeper uh, at a mini course by our house. Uh, it was, now it's called Canal Shores, but he he actually mowed lawns and did stuff. Uh, so he was a you know a goofy guy that uh, I was familiar with. And he also ran the snack shack uh, for a year, or maybe more than a year. But uh, he was an interesting guy to run a snack shack at a golf shop because he liked to show up, you know, when it was a little warmer out, you know, like 11, maybe 12 o'clock. And uh, so the early golfers, uh, they got they got nothing to eat. Billy uh, really wasn't there yet. You know, that, was, that was humorous. I used to ride my bike over there and see if Billy was there yet. No, not yet. <laughs> Uh, I don't know what other characters. Um, there was a guy, and that's how we all got roped into it. There was a caddy master, and um, he would go 
over to where we went to church in St. Joseph's in Wilmette, Illinois, and um, he would grab the guys, not grab them, but um, recruit guys, altar boys that were coming out of Mass at like, you know, 6.15 Mass, be 7 o'clock, you're coming out of it. And uh, he would say, you guys want to make some money, you want to, you know, get out in the sun instead of, you know, sit in the church. Um, he was kind of a, a strange guy, but then you realize, oh, no, he's serious. We're going to make some money on this thing. But uh, he, he figured if you were willing to wake up that early in the morning to go altar boy, you'd, you'd be a quality, you know, candidate to be a, a caddy because you, you'd get up early and then you'd be there. So uh, that was his, his way of, of recruiting young ones. Uh, that's how Ed and Brian got pinched, and uh, the rest of us just kind of followed Obviously, the your whole family is tied to golf uh, for for many reasons. Obviously, Caddyshack now William Murray Golf, um, which is so popular in in my house that my wife informed me the other day that I am getting something uh, for the second straight Father's Day. So, thank you for helping me not get another okay. necktie. Uh, very happy about that. Um, but what what is your relationship to golf today? Obviously, the, the company, but I'm sure there's a lot more than that. Well, I mean, it's it's on a lot of levels. I mean, we have the Caddyshack restaurant down in Florida. We have a big, huge golf tournament every year. Uh, we fill three golf courses. It's been as big as many as five golf courses we filled. But uh, that's a, a great big fundraiser we do. And, you know, it's a reason for all the brothers to get together and hang out for like five days, which uh, most families don't get to do. And uh, then I have a little um, a first responders tournament in Chicago, and uh, the brothers could get to come to that, and we get to hang out and golf. Uh, so, and uh, like I'm down here in California, and uh, Billy's got a place with a great golf course next to it, and uh, that's another place where we'll meet up and we'll play golf. But that, that's kind of something we can do. Uh, some of my brothers get pretty old, but you know, we can't get together and play basketball in the driveway anymore. But uh, you can still go out and play team holes, which is fun. And uh, it's a bond. And, uh, you know, right now, it's the only thing keeping me sane in Los Angeles. Uh, they finally opened golf was At least I can go out and I can walk 18 holes and carry my bag. Uh, you know, being cooped up with nothing to do, that was that was real rough. But uh, I, I like being out in the fresh air. Uh, 200 yards away from another human being and uh, enjoying the uh, flora and the fauna, as you say. And how many rounds have you had the chance to play? Because being out in California, there were there were some restrictions the last few months. Uh, how often have you made it out the last couple of months since all this started? Well, I got a bunch in in February before they shut it down, and then it was shut down like all in March and April. Uh but I've gotten in three rounds already, and I'm playing tomorrow, uh, since they opened mid-May. Uh, second week of May, I guess. Eighth of May opened. But, uh, yeah, I, I play, you know, once a week if I'm sad, and twice a week if I'm happy. Uh, so, I, I get it in. Uh, you mentioned some of the characters that maybe led into the creation of Carl Spackler and, and talking with some superintendents uh, for this story, there are a few who've said that they have worked with a Spackler-esque character on every course that they have ever worked on. May not be the assistant, but somewhere on the staff. Um, the, the, the better questions are, um, and, and maybe there's some bias 
Um, obviously, you're closer to the character than a lot of people are. But at this point, 40 years gone by, a lot of retrospective. Would you say Carl Spackler is good for the game of golf? Oh, yeah. I think he, uh, I, I think he loves his job. Uh, I think he's into it. He's, he's a learner. You know, he's, he's got a lot of potential. Uh, 40 years, I, I'm guessing he's, he's gotten better at it. You know, he had books. He pointed that right on. I got books and stuff. He's studying up. Uh, uh, you know, nitrogen, all that, that kind of stuff he's been working on. I, I, I bet he's, he's really become quite a player uh, in the field of uh, groundskeeping. Um, but yeah, I think he's good for the game of golf. I think uh, you need somebody that's not not a stiff. Somebody that's going to be a little bit of fun, a wild card, not a question. You know, weird thing about Spackler is uh, Billy can't really do the character all the time. Like people talked about, you know, do call, and uh, he can't really do it. It's like you got to jumpstart him. Uh, and he, uh, if you do a little bit of call, then he's like, oh, yeah, that's how it goes. Oh, yeah, well, now I got it. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it makes me laugh that uh, he doesn't exactly have his call down. Um, no, but, I mean, he was in his 20s when he created the Honker character. And, and you know, can, who can do something that they did 40 years ago? You know, it, it's not always a fair question to ask him to do it, I would imagine. Right. Uh, he's moved on character-wise, but uh, you can bring him back. The, he was a lot goof, goofier in his younger years. <laughs> the uh, One of the other Spackler questions, obviously he, he you bring up, he's studying books, he's working. Do you think he's ultimately good at his job? Because there are the negatives, like blowing up the course, but there are the positives. He's developing his own grasses. He is so dedicated, he lives on the course. Well, you know, what is job one? That's that's how Carl Spackler thinks. And uh, first job first, first job is get rid of the gophers. Um, you know, blowing up the course, that's, that's you know, side thing. It has different effects, but gophers gone, hopefully. But it turns out not. Uh, yeah, no, he's, he's directed. <laughs> I love for some reason he ends up caddying for the priest, too. Uh, uh, and, uh, yeah, Carl, and just whenever there's a job that needs to be done, uh, there's no loopers on the rainy day. I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll carry on some, some metal, <laughs> some steel, a bag. Sure, okay, I'll help. So, yeah, no, I think he's good for the game. And if you were running a golf course maintenance department today, or, or any business really, um, and somebody like Carl Spackler applied, do you think you would hire that person? Well, you know, kids go to school now for uh, these things. You know, I, I, a good friend has got twin sons who have gone to school in Nebraska to, to be greenskeepers. So there's a lot more studying. You know, it was more of an independent study of Carl Spack work, but uh, there's a lot more regimented now, and there's actual degrees. Uh, I don't think he had all that 40 years ago. Um, I don't know. Could have gotten a GI bill and, and, and gotten a you know a degree in it, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I think uh, the personal interview would have to be pretty over- overwhelming uh, because you know, I don't think he has a lot of 
This was tremendous, and, and thank you so much for the time. Anything else about Carl Spackler or Caddyshack or just your life in golf in general uh, that you'd like to talk about? Well, um, the fact that um, my brother Ed will often say that Danny Newman was based on him because he was an avid scholar and actually got the Caddy Scholarship and won the Caddy Tournament. Uh, He'll say, yeah, he was Danny Noonan, but at Indian Hill, um, there weren't cute Irish girls like that. They were 10, 15, 20 years older than that. And uh, I don't think he had hooked up with any of the, you know, 50-year-old Irish <laughs> waitresses when, when he was 17. Probably anyway. not. Probably not. 